Hi everyone, welcome to the third episode of The Passion Project with me, your host, Samantha Lyons. You may have noticed that there was a weak gap between my last guest and today's episode. That was because I started a new job, and while it's exciting and shiny and new, it's also intense and tiring and took a lot of my time and mental energy. Not to worry though, because we'll be back to regular scheduling from today. So here's my second guest of the season, Kate Key, to talk about her experience with Huntington's disease, also known as HD. So Kate, do you want to read to us a definition of what Huntington's disease is? Sure. So Huntington's disease, or HD, is often likened to having Alzheimer's, ALS, and Parkinson's all at once. Um, The symptoms include rigidity of muscles, involuntary jerking of muscles, problems with balance and walking, abnormal eye movement, and difficulty with speech and swallowing. It's also genetic, with children of parents affected having a 50% chance of inheriting HD. Symptoms often start between the ages of 35 and 45, and once they begin, people with the disease are given an estimated lifespan of about 10 to 20 years. Kate, can you tell us a little bit about the Cling to Joy project? Sure. So Cling to Joy um, started this year. It was the first year that our family had kind of all been out about Huntington's disease. Um, My brother found out this year, and so I thought with Uh, May being Huntington's Awareness Month that it would be a good idea to do something and I'd always wanted to but it just never seemed like the right time so I thought hard about you know the kind of message that I wanted to get across for Huntington's disease because a lot of it is about hope which I think is good and kind of you know being positive but I also think that because it's not very well known that it's important to share bad side as well because I think when people realize how devastating that is they get a little bit more invested which is kind of sad but you know it's true so what I wanted to do was create something that was both inspirational and also that represented what happens during the process of Huntington's which is you know the degeneration um yeah so I created something because I'm a graphic designer so straight away I was like okay I've got to make something creative so I'm, I created something that represented hope, looking forward, the fact that, you know, every day you get a fresh start and there's always good in every day, but also the fact that you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. And sometimes, regardless of whether you have HD or not, the future is never promised. So yeah, it was all about clinging to every joyful moment and also the design represented kind of two halves of a sunset, which is one side is representing just a normal person and then the other side has little gaps and wiggly bits and that kind of shows that, you know, people with Huntington's disease are the same people that they were before, but unfortunately they've just gone through mental and physical changes that make them appear to be so much more different, but really it's still them and that's another really hard part of Huntington's disease so yeah it's all wrapped up (laughs) just a way to um, raise awareness and spread the word really I actually have one of your sweatshirts and it's absolutely beautiful and you've done a really good job of making sure that the items are really quality thank you Um, no worries (laughs) I think it's really good sometimes you can buy something to support a cause and it's probably not quite as quality as you would like like the t-shirts might be a bit thin and things like that 
and unfortunately you don't get as much wear out of them but you've gone for some really quality items so you know i'll be able to wear my sweatshirt for a very long time and support the cause which is quite cool yeah so talking about your family because obviously this is something that's very personal to you your family has experienced hd who was the first person in your family to experience it so my grandfather who i never met he had huntington's disease and i'm pretty sure he passed away around the age of 40 45 so quite young and he died of pneumonia which is a uh, very common in people with huntington's so Huntington huntington's disease can't actually kill you but the symptoms um are often lead to things like pneumonia or choking or falling so we were always told that he had passed away from pneumonia um, it wasn't until I found out about my mum that I realised that what they had told us was kind of a cover-up story. He he died and then um, my mum inherited Huntington's disease from him and she found out in 1995. So that's when the test first became available. So before that, she had had me and my brother, but there was no tests available. She knew that she was at risk. Yeah, so she found out in 1995, but... I didn't find out until 2013 that she had Huntington's disease. So probably until she was about 45, she was completely symptom-free. And 45 is actually quite late. In the, well, not late, but it's kind of on the end, the, the later end of the normal spectrum. Yeah, we, we kind of noticed that things were changing and her movement wasn't so good and... Um, she was slurring a little bit and people were making comments like had she had too much to drink and stuff and me and my brother you know didn't know what was going on but we knew there was something but also it was, no one was telling us anything so yeah so we, I think 2013 I was 22 and then finally we had like a sit down my brother wasn't there he was meant to come but he had a lot of other stuff that he was dealing with and understandably like he obviously knew that something wrong was was wrong with mum so he didn't want to be there because you know then it's true which was fine but for me I was just like I need to know <laughs> you know it just was getting so frustrated and no one would tell me and I was asking and yeah so we sat down and found out that mum had Huntington's disease everything suddenly made sense but also it was this huge thing that we had to deal with because now not only was it that mum had it but it was also the 50% chance that me and my brother had it too so it was kind of like two sets of grief <laughs> in one day did your mom sort of go downhill quite quickly was it something that took hold and just ran away from her or did she show signs quite slowly and you know how long did it take for her to do yeah I think it was kind of like I was probably about 16 when I first started noticing and it would have just been little things like she was gonna grab glass and then she knocked it over or um yeah she'd like stumble a little bit or her yeah her words kind of slurred together but not all the time and also her driving was a little bit like (laughs) I don't know who should be driving mum but then yeah it was probably over I met Rob my husband now when I was 19 and he said that he knew that there was something but he just wasn't sure what so I suppose maybe three or four years she was working until I was about well I think when I was like 19 so she was still working but I think once I'm trying to think back now as you like forget about it or I think as well we just got so used to it that it's like oh it's just mum and we never thought too much into it but yeah I'd say maybe like over five years five or six years it kind of went slowly and it was just little things and she was still working and stuff like that 
But then when I was 20 or 21, she moved in with my grandma, her mum. And from there, it's hard to know because we saw her, but she was mostly looked after my gran. So we didn't always hear what was going on with everything. But yeah, so I'd say, well, since she was 45, she's 58 now. So that's 13 years. So it's kind of gone steadily, I think, to be honest. Like it's, it, nothing has been too shocking. It's just slowly kind of happened. And yeah. did you, do you feel like you had an opportunity to talk to her about it and sort of ask her about her decisions around the disease? I mean, obviously, like you said, the test only became available in the 90s, mid-90s. Yeah. But did you have a conversation with her about if she ever wanted to bring it up with you and your brother or if it was something that she was kind of hoping, I guess, like you said, if you if you don't acknowledge it, sometimes you think it's not true. Yeah. So. Well, the lady from HD Association, who's been our kind of point of contact, she actually said to me that feels like once mum told me, that's when it started, deter- she started deteriorating the most because she had to accept the fact that she had it and she had to accept the fact that she might have passed it on to us. So prior to that, I think she was so in denial and even she'd, she'd never say that it was Huntington's. She'd say, oh no, it's just because I'm tired. Oh no, it's just because of this. Um, so she was very firm and like not wanting to talk about it. And yeah, so I never really got a chance to talk to her about it at all. Like what she was thinking. And even now, you know, I, I'm always like, oh, I wish I could just ask her. But I don't think she would ever have told me. So that makes it hard because I can relate to her in a lot of ways. And she's probably my one person that I could have spoken to about it. But I also understand why she's been the way that she is. And like you said, it's kind of easier to feel like it's not, it doesn't exist if you don't talk about it. And there was even, um, because I was telling her about the IVF, but she, she was like, no, you can just have a baby. Don't worry about it. You know, because she, she just didn't want to think about me having to go through anything extra because of it. So... I always, and I I felt like because of that, I didn't want to talk to her about it because I just didn't want to upset her. It just didn't seem worth it. And I had my husband, Mm -hmm. so I was like, felt supported enough anyway. You've brought up the IVF. Yeah. (laughs) So let's have a chat because obviously you've gone and dawned a little boy who was the result of IVF. So do you want to tell us a little bit about why you chose to go down that path rather than having a baby and seeing how it went, I guess? Yeah, sure. So... When I found out about mum, and then also found out that I could potentially have it, the the lady from HD Association also told me that, and I think she kind of told me this so that I wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world, like what am I going to do now? Um, but she wanted, uh, she told me about IVF and the fact that you're actually able to have a baby that wouldn't have HD through a process called PGD, which I think is genetic just I don't know something like that um, and basically what they do is they'll take your embryos they freeze them and then they send them away to be tested and the embryos that don't have Huntington's disease are returned back and then you can use them for like to be put back in or the ones that do have HD would be discarded so it's not so much like you're taking the gene out or anything like that it's just process of elimination when we heard, when I found out about that, um, and I'd been with my husband for two years when I first found out, so I wasn't, I knew that I wanted to be tested, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure, and I knew that I needed time. So I kind of said in my mind, all right, a year from now I'll get tested. But in the meantime, 
let's start getting this IVF PGD process started because it can take a long time. They had to um, take mine and Rob's blood. They also had to take his parents and my parents' blood because they needed to set up the tests so that when the embryos came, they were able to like set up the markers so they'd know which ones are mine, like which chromosomes and stuff are mine and which ones are his. And so they'd be able to use his parents and my parents as kind of like a backup. But they were also doing that because they weren't sure if I was going to get tested. So they can still test them without you being tested. They just don't tell you. And so obviously you don't know because they're discarding the ones that have HD anyway. So in your eyes you're just getting ones that don't. So it wouldn't matter if you had it or not. Yeah, so we were going and that process took a year just for them to do those tests. So we were like, okay, well, we'll just get started now. We weren't even married yet, <laughs> but it was like, who knows how long this is going to take because even once, once we have the embryos, you know, IVF is such a long process, or it can be, um, we just wanted to make sure that we'd started as soon as possible. Yeah, we were actually really lucky. So I ended up getting tested anyway, so it, it didn't really matter about them telling us or not. When we went through the IVF process, we actually ended up having five frozen embryos that don't have HD, which was pretty incredible because we thought we'd only get like one, <laughs> like we'd prepared ourselves for one or none. So when they came back and said that there were five, it was just like, because oh, anyone who's been through IVF knows that it's just this huge roller coaster, and our chances were even less because of the PGD side of things, because if we hadn't, we would have had eight and then three. Um, two ended up having HD and one was just like a, they weren't sure. So yeah, I mean, it was incredible. Like, and then Jackson was the first embryo that went in and worked first time, no worries at all. Yeah, it's just incredible. Like, we're just so lucky. Yeah, and we, I, I knew as soon as I found out about mum, and I, this was a hard thing is that I couldn't talk to her about it because I, and I couldn't really get her to under, understand what, why I wanted to go through IVF because I didn't want her to ever feel bad about what she had done in terms of having me and my brother, you know, without being tested. But I just, I, I don't want to ever put my child through what I've been through, you know, and knowing that your mum has got it, watching them go through it, then to be tested, you know, then to find out that you're going to have to be tested and then one worrying whether you're going to pass it on to your child and just the whole whole thing of even having to deal with coming to terms with it and stuff I was just like if I have a choice which I do because you know I was able to be tested when I was 20 say 20 I think I was 23 yeah that's not a choice that my mum had and so it just seemed wrong to do it any other way and that was my personal preference I know that there are other, fam you know, everyone has their own thoughts around it. But for me, it was like, either we have a baby through IVF or we don't have a baby at all. Which was quite hard for my husband because he's such a family man, you know, it was a bit of a... But he knew as well. And it was just like, just seemed like the right decision to make, really. Would you like to have another baby? Would you go through the IVF process and obviously testing the embryos and all that kind of thing to have another baby? Well, luckily, the other embryos have all been tested already. So, yeah, we were, um, this, the second time round, we just have to go in and then, you know, they figure out the timings and when's the best time to put it back in and stuff. 
but we don't have to go through like the injections and the back and forthing that we did with the first round so and also in New Zealand um, if you have a 25% chance of passing the genetic disease, disease or disorder over you get your first round of IVF funded that's really interesting yeah so we got ours our first one funded um, and that first round includes all the frozen embryos so essentially we get five goes if we wanted to and after <laughs> after my first I don't know if I want that <laughs> yeah oh, I don't know Rob's got a big family you might end up with five I know. Islander boys all running around the absolute oh mayhem <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's really inspiring actually I, when I think about having kids I just poo myself yeah <laughs> um so talking about being tested for Huntington's how do you go about that so what's the process involved in getting tested I know that you got tested at 23 mm. is there an ideal age to get tested no there's not so um you can't actually get tested until you're 18 which I think is really good because I just don't think you need to do that to a kid you know there's no reason and um there is a juvenile HD and that can be passed on and it's just random unfortunately and it does have to be passed on by a parent but whether you'll get it or not normally you pass on what your parents have had but you can still you know have HD and that's basically where the repeat so I'm getting sciencey now <laughs> it's all good you geek out <laughs> um yeah so within Huntington's there's like the HD gene and um within the gene there are the CAGs and so a normal and they're, they're repetitions so that kind of says whether you have HD or not and so up to 0 to 35 that's where you're fine no HD 35 36 to 39 is where you're most likely to have late onset which is probably from 60 70 kind of age um, and then the normal one is from 40 to 50 I think and that's around the 35 to 45 age but juvenile is from 60 up and that's where it happens in under 18 year olds you know unless you have that but you would know because you'd be symptomatic and that's why you would get tested but otherwise, you know, there's no reason to get tested until you're 18 because it doesn't, it's not going to change anything, you know, like you're not going to get symptoms until hopefully you're at least 30. So, yeah. So I, I honestly, I don't know. I think for me, it was a no brainer. I'm one of those people who has to know, you know, like it, it was ruining me not knowing and I, I couldn't handle it. And I just knew that regardless of what the result was, I would be hundred percent better off knowing than not knowing and wondering what if and I just you know once I once I know then I've got I can plan and then I can go from there and I think the percentage is only about 25% of people get tested so still even with everything a lot of people don't want to know which is fine you know everyone's different and deals with things differently but I do think you know if you've got a partner and you're thinking about a family like I think it's a well you know I would hope that you would get tested and so you could look into different options so you can see that you do have choices for my brother for example he's 26 but he hasn't really I mean he found he only found out this year but even around testing because he's single and he hasn't got too many responsibilities I think there's kind of less pressure unless you wanted to know um but I think in the end of the day it's less about age and more about personality type 
and what kind of person you are and how you like dealing with things and you know yeah yeah so what is the actual test involved is it a swab or a blood test so it's just a blood test I went through the HD association and they organized everything because I didn't really have a steady doctor at the time and normally they just kind of refer you anyway um so your first appointment is with a genetic counselor and they pretty much just uh go through what the disease is kind of see where your knowledge is at in terms of Huntington's disease and um what may or may not happen and then they kind of explain to you the process of how it's going to go so essentially it's four appointments the first is with the genetic counselor the second one is with the the psych team so this is kind of just to check where you are mentally and make sure that you haven't got other stuff going on that you need to deal with first. And I think it's really good. Like they just really want to make sure that you're prepared for either result. Because a lot of people get a negative result, as in they don't have it, but they actually struggle with that quite a lot because they get survivor guilt or, you know, they they had planned or they're prepared having the other and then they don't really know what to do when they find out that they don't have it yeah so they they just make sure that you're ready and if they don't really feel like you're ready then you might have more of those appointments with that team just to yeah make sure that you're going to have the support that you need and then after that once that's okay you go and see the genetic counselor again um to go for the blood test and then once the blood test results come back you see the genetic counselor again and they tell you your result so it's just four appointments but it can take a while i know that i only had one with a psych team and so did they offer support once you found out did they offer any counseling from there or it was there like we knew that the hd association was there but no not really <laughs> they were just kind of like off you go <laughs> that made, i think it was just like well we can't do anything like you know you're not symptomatic or anything like that so it's just like all right <laughs> that's it but it's interesting because when I first had Jackson I not I don't know when you become a mum it's unlike anything else and you have there's a lot of soul searching there's a lot of figuring things out there's a lot of oh my gosh what is my life now and who am I and I don't know what I'm doing and I did feel like I wanted to find someone who I could talk to because I I kind of thought like maybe my thoughts around HD were uh, stopping me from connecting to my son as much as, you know, I don't know if I was just like preparing for the future and yeah. So I was trying to find a counsellor who knew about HD because I thought that that would be important because even if we didn't talk about it, I just, you know, you get really frustrated when you go to medical professionals and they just you know you go for something else and then you they find out you have they find out you have hd and then that's all they want to talk about and they're just like oh what's that oh that's really interesting who did you get that from and you know and it's like stop <laughs> because i don't want to talk to you about it and i'm actually a bit sensitive about it and it's not really your place it has nothing to do with that so that's kind of why i wanted someone who already knew about it so i wouldn't have to explain everything to them but they don't actually have anyone yeah so i was kind of like Maybe that needs to be a new project, you know, trying to get someone, even if it's just one person, but who people could be referred to because they have a background of HD. And like I said, not necessarily to talk about it, but just for them to be able to know, because it does make a difference, I think. I think when you see a therapist and they do have a background in something specific, you can be talking about something that to anyone else would have absolutely nothing to do 
yeah. with this specific thing like with HD you know like you might be talking about I don't know the way that like you said the way that you feel with your son and how you feel like it sort of stops that connection and a normal ther- therapist might think that you know it might be postnatal depression or something like that someone who's got a background in HD might be able to say well actually it's probably because of all the feelings you have around this and yeah the, you know your relationship with your mom and how you feel you know you don't begrudge her her decisions but just because you don't begrudge her decisions doesn't mean that you're going to make the same decisions being able to divorce you from that and look at you as a whole person and how the disease is affecting you even though you aren't symptoms symptomatic <laughs> oh that was really tough um just yet you know yeah so I think probably there is a market there to or a void to fill, you know? Yeah. I find it quite difficult when I go to see health professionals because I am overweight and I have high blood pressure and that's all they ever want to talk about. You sit down and you can say, my finger's sore and they're like, have you thought about losing a bit of weight? And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> my weight didn't crush my finger, so, you know, I chopped it off or whatever. And so I think that can be quite difficult. So it must be even more difficult when they like look at your charts and they see that you've got something that's genetic and something perhaps that's quite rare. And I'm sure as a medical professional, if you opened a file and you found a rare disease, you know, the person sitting in front of you, you want to know more because you went into that profession because you're curious about it and you want to help. But like you said, you don't want to talk about just hunting this disease with everyone. Yeah. You know, like that's really difficult. So I do understand. Blood pressure is <laughs> a little bit difficult. Um, you know, it's not, it's not, not the same, but I do understand where you're coming from with that. It's, yeah. It does feel a bit personal. Yeah, it yeah. does. And, and even um, I actually saw a counsellor in the first year, and I, you know, kind of, it took a couple of sessions, which was frustrating too, just to kind of share everything, because you know how you kind of have to, like, tell them everything for them to then move forward but it's so expensive and you're like, I don't have time to like tell you my history. I just want to be in and then you fix me and then I can leave. <laughs> um, but she, yeah, I was telling her and she was like, yeah, wow. That's, um, it's, it's understandable. You feel like that. And, uh, there just didn't seem like she could give me any, you know, she was just like, holy, that's your life. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> Sounds like helpful. <laughs> I guess that's the thing, isn't it? In some mm. situations, you're not looking for sympathy. You're looking for empathy. You want someone yeah. to be like, look, I can relate because I understand about this, this, and this, and this. Rather than being like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, yeah. oh, try yeah. again another day, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, it is quite difficult. And yeah. my husband goes to therapy, and I can tell you that it's not cheap. Um, and, you know, he's been going for a long time, and he is a massive advocate for therapy. He thinks that everyone should go at least once in their lives. I'm not quite so on board. Like, I don't have anything against it, but I also feel like I would sit down and just have nothing to say. And, you know, the clock would tick on and I'd be like, oh, this is costing me money. Um, but, you know, for my husband, it's really important that he's got that safe space to share. But for my husband, it's kind of, you know, for the first couple of sessions, he sat there and said nothing. And he found that that was okay until he felt comfortable and he wanted to share and that kind of thing. And I think sometimes also finding a therapist that you gel well with is really important. Yeah. Rather than someone who's just going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, I understand. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And sort of tell you what you want to hear. You need someone that actually genuinely cares enough 
well in their profession <laughs> cares enough to like to have that conversation with you and to maybe do a bit of research into what it is you're experiencing and that kind of thing as well yeah, yeah. so where do the funds for the cling to joy project actually go so they go to the hd association in auckland and um i just picked them because they're the ones i've been dealing with and seemed like the best place to go but it was pretty cool i spoke with the lady in charge joe and she said that it actually helps out like directly to families so they use that money to like help pay a bill or help with someone's groceries or come christmas time they'll you know help them have a meal or you know get a present or something like that so they can actually use it more for people affected by huntington's than they can their funding because that generally just goes towards like the association running um, whereas these donations, yeah, they affect the families directly, which is pretty amazing. That's really cool. It's nice to know that there's someone out there that you guys can reach out to if you need to. And that, you know, when you support the Cling to Joy project, it's not, the money's not just going into the empty hole and you never know where it goes. It's like, it affects families and it helps them in a really positive way, which is really cool. What items are available for purchase? Just shamelessly plug <laughs> everything. The project. <laughs> um, so we have apparel, clothes. So we have t-shirts, um, kids' t-shirts, long sleeves, and jumpers. I'm thinking about bringing out some summer stuff. So maybe some singlets, crop tops, that kind of thing. There's also a keychain. So like the whole thing with the cling to joy is while it was for HD. I also wanted it to, to be something that everyone could wear whenever. You know, I wanted the design not to be really in your face, but to be something cool that people would enjoy wearing. Because I, I think with a lot of charity t-shirts, you know, it's about awareness and it's about being out there and, and pushing your message, which is absolutely fine. Like, that's what they're for. But it doesn't really make them, like, wearable on a daily basis because you know that when you put the t-shirt on, people are going to look and they're going to ask and if you don't feel like explaining what it's about then you know it's kind of confronting I suppose so I didn't really want that with these t-shirts because yeah like I said and, and even the me the message you know it's not just for people with HD like yeah it definitely affects them a lot but it's a message for everyone yeah so that's why I thought if it was like a little pocket design on the t-shirt it has a little label that says let's talk about HD so I thought there needed to be something on there because otherwise it's just a t-shirt um, yeah so the t-shirts are good for that and then there are the keychains which I think are really cool for you know just everyday kind of awareness and it was kind of a cheaper option because I know that people don't always want to buy t-shirts and they don't always want to buy a jumper but I thought a keychain would be something that people would get behind and yeah I've actually when I first launched it I've sent some over to the UK and one to Bali some to America one to Chile and some to Australia so yeah it's kind of gone little international which is quite cool that is so cool I hope you've got a map and like you put a pin in each country <laughs> yeah. like when you like tick it off and send something there I think the keychain is a really nice option like you said sometimes you might want to give but you might not have 50 to 60 bucks to spend on it you know a shirt or a jumper or something like that so it's a cool little cheaper option <laughs> but you still know that your money is going to a good cause which is really cool will you be developing the clean to joy project further in the next year couple of years and if so how are you going to do that i actually don't know 
to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's been one of those things that I've been umming and ahhing about because someone actually posted on my... I have an Instagram account, by the way. <laughs> Here's another plug. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll link to all of this. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> Everyone will know that you're online. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of dedicated to my Huntington's disease journey. I started it anonymously because I hadn't gone public about it. I, I had told my friends and family and stuff that I had HD and that mum had HD, but I hadn't done a, a post, <laughs> you know, or an announcement or anything like that. But I needed something. And I was, you know, every time I'd see mum, I'd come home and I'd be all overwhelmed. And, like, I've got my husband and he's amazing. But I just didn't have anyone that really understood, you know. And so I started this Instagram account um, and just shared stuff. It was kind of to raise awareness, to, like, inform people, but also for me to have a journal or a space where I could just talk about how I felt. Um, so that was pretty good and I started connecting with people overseas and um, started meeting uh, meeting like cyber meeting um, people and learning about their family and how they were affected and I found this whole community community out there with some really really great people um, so that was really cool and then when my brother found out about HD it was kind of like oh okay well nothing's holding us back now so shall I just go public <laughs> which kind of seems like it would have been like a massive deal but I you know I've known about it now for six years so I've had a lot of time to come to terms with it and be at peace with it and it doesn't really bother me too much like the hardest part is seeing my mum go through it but when it comes to my own stuff I don't really think about it that often because I've got time whereas my mum doesn't so she's my main priority and you know I don't think about myself yeah so I went public about it and it felt really good actually because you know there's this thing that had been going on behind the scenes no one knew about but from the outside our lives looked perfect you know I had Rob you know and we got married and then we went to Europe and then I had a baby and you know I was working from home so everyone would have just been like wow Kate's so got her life together not knowing the reason why we got married and we went to Europe and I'm working and was all because I found out that I had HD you know and I was trying to make the most of my life and cram everything in just in you know worst case scenario because best case scenario there's a cure which there currently isn't but you know if there's no cure I just want to make sure that I like my cling to joy, you know, I'm making the most of every moment and I'm living life to the fullest and that kind of thing. Thanks so much for listening. Show notes are available for this episode. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. But if you heard anything that isn't included in the notes and you want to know more, you can reach out to us via our website. Also, linked in the notes. Additionally, if you have any feedback, you can send us a message. I love reading through your comments and seeing what you think. You can also recommend us to your friends or family by sharing a link to the podcast or tagging people in our Facebook posts. We like to keep the Facebook page up to date with new happenings on the podcast, so pop over there and give it a like to make sure you get the latest info straight away. Join us next time for part two of my chat with Kate.